Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Content and Caffeine. I'm your host, Kaya Ismail. And today I was joined by Jesse Martin, the developer advocate at Graph CMS, a headless GraphQL native CMS. Me and Jesse on this episode spoke about a whole bunch of things ranging from headless CMS to GraphQL to seeing content as a product or as data that can be repackaged and repurposed in different ways. Uh, we spoke about a few examples of, of this happening, um, universities using their, their internal data, the kind of data that's otherwise mundane and, and using that to engage their students in, uh, in different ways through Alexa skills and so on and so forth. And, and Jesse gave another example as well, which was really interesting. We also spoke about um, you know, top of funnel content versus bottom of funnel content, you know, the, uh, the trend that I see, which is software companies focusing almost exclusively on bot bottom of funnel and, you know, forgetting to, you know, focus on brand awareness and, and bringing out their personality. We spoke about how that can be done. This was a really interesting one for me. Um, like I said, we, we sort of bounced from topic to topic and I really like that. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Wordify, the content marketing agency for SaaS and software companies. If you want to learn more about Wordify, head over to Wordify, that's W-O-R-D-I-F-Y dot C-O. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Content and Caffeine. Today I'm joined by Jesse Martin, the developer advocate at Graph CMS, a headless GraphQL native CMS. And we'll come back to the GraphQL part in a few moments. But for now, Jesse, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm no uh, excited to be here today. No problem at all. Okay, so imagine we are in a coffee shop right now. What coffee shop am I buying you? What coffee, well, not coffee shop, what coffee am I buying you? It's like getting yeah, ahead yeah. of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, no, the, you know, I'm from Seattle originally, and so uh, that's always a complex question for, for those of okay. us that have blood of mixed rainwater and coffee. I, I would <laughs> used to say an Americano until I came to Europe and realized that, like, you guys just call that a coffee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would say, uh, I, I, usually these days I just say uh, a big coffee, please. And that that <laughs> okay. takes me over. Is, is there a difference between an Americano in America and an Americano in Europe, or are they the same thing? You know, I believe they're, they're more or less the same thing. Okay. Um, that's, it's that's been a boring. while since I've been able to do a direct comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, fair if enough. If you wanted to enough. get fancy back in the day, I would have gone for like a French roast, or uh, okay. I was yep. around one of those early uh, clover machines at Starbucks. Did you ever, ever hear of those or see those? No, I haven't. It's like a steampunk extruded coffee kind of thing that makes you feel really fancy. But yeah, that that's, sounds really that sounds really good. over the that sounds really over the top, which is something that, I would, that which is something that I like when it comes to coffee. Yeah. So yeah. I probably enjoy that. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So let's come back very very quickly to uh, this um, the graph part of the graph CMS name, right? A graph right. native CMS. Mm -hmm. So. Um, to be very, very, you know, quick about this and to summarize it very quickly, um, headless content management systems, generally speaking, traditionally speaking, um, rely on REST APIs, right? RESTful APIs. And there's a little bit of an evolution or a revolution going on in this space, the API space with GraphQL being the, you know, the version two, if you will, of, of, of RESTful APIs. So can you just very quickly summarize uh, what GraphQL is and why it's um, that little bit much better than REST. 
Yeah, so the short version is basically that with GraphQL, you have the ability to request very descriptively the data that you want from the server. So traditionally speaking, if you were to request, uh, say, an article that has the title, the body, the author, from a REST database, the, the most common case in a REST system is you would get uh, you'd request your posts, you'd get back a list of maybe IDs of those different posts. And then for each of those other posts, uh, of those ID posts, post IDs, sorry, you would then make a subsequent request and say, okay, now I want to have the uh, the blog or the actual content behind each of those IDs. You'd get back that and maybe you would have, let's say, a tag or an author on there. And you'd only get the author ID and the tag ID. And then you would have to do another fetch to the network to say, okay, uh, what's the actual name of that author? You get a lot of these round trips and a lot of uh, network overhead. And the, the way they describe it often is it's either overfetching the data or underfetching the data. And with GraphQL, you can be really specific about what you want and say, okay, I want to have all of these posts plus the titles, plus the body, plus the author and the author's name and the tags and the tag description. However you've defined your content schema, you can request that very descriptively. So that's kind of the, the sweet spot about yeah. GraphQL. How I like to look at it. Um, so again, those, for those unfamiliar with, with headless content management and an API call and how that works and what that role, what role that plays, um, you want to pull content, right? So again, from the content schema, you want to be pulling content or, or from wherever. You may, want, you may want to pull content from a third-party system like a CRM or something like that. So an API call helps you pull that content, right? And also push it as well in other scenarios. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got an app or whatever it might be, like it's a great case because I may not need all of this content uh, in every context, right? So I may not need to have images if my target is an audio platform but uh, I, I do need to have the titles and the body. So yeah, depending on the context and, and what you're trying to do, being able to say, I want this little bit of data or all of this data is, very, is really helpful because the headless CMS, like you were saying, does allow you to deliver your content to any platform. And so we'll, cut, we'll touch on that a little bit about, uh, about, I think, just generally the future of content here in a, in a few moments. But yeah, it's, very, uh, it's a really powerful paradigm. Yeah, and um, just to sort of to sort of um, put a cherry on that, in terms of you know REST versus GraphQL, how I like to look at it is you know REST is like fishing with a net, and GraphQL is like fishing with with a with a, with a line, right? So you can be very direct and get that one one piece of information that you need over and over again if you like. Whereas with REST, you sort of sometimes you get more than you bargain for, or you, or you usually get more than you bargain for. Would you say that's a pretty good analogy? Yeah, I think uh, I think like that works in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay, that's so. cool. Since I just I just kind of <laughs> yeah. I just kind of made that up, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe someone wrote uh, about that first, but yeah. <laughs> excellent, cool, cool, cool. Okay, so let's get back to what we really want to chat about today, and that's content and content marketing for mm -hmm. for software companies. So you've been telling me offline about the well, still online since you're in Germany and I'm in the UK, so the internet is required. You've been telling me about the concept of content as a product, something that can be packaged and repackaged. Um, can you explain that concept a little bit more? Yeah, so it actually comes back to one of the wins that you get with a headless CMS. And when you're able to basically choose any platform that you would like to deliver content to, 
you're given a lot of freedom to sort of reimagine what that content could actually be. Uh, one of the one of the things that I tend to like to say is that uh, essentially at the end of the day, your content is just data, and it's the data plus context that actually equals your content. So you may be having uh, audio data content, which is going to be your data in context of an audio device or or whatever it may be that you're targeting for a platform. I think it's really a powerful idea to say, okay, I want to take, uh, maybe I have like a hotel website or something, or I have a, a whole bunch of, yeah, let's, we'll just go with a travel, uh, travel service at the moment. So if I had a bunch of articles and reviews about uh, hotels and places to go and, and countries to visit, I could extrapolate away just those hotel pieces into an app that is simply just a, a like browsing for hotels, completely isolated from any of the backing uh, reviews or articles. I could do a lot of different pieces where I pull that data out into some unique way. And um, we had a we had an interesting use case uh, recently from a company. I haven't gotten the permission to to drop names, <laughs> but um, <clears throat> they uh, they have a whole bunch of agricultural data, and so they were testing out a new market. There, I mean, they're a, a giant uh, enterprise, and they were testing out a new market by taking a lot of this agricultural data they they had in the headless, and turned it into an urban farming app. So, like uh, helping with uh, with farming uh, inside of cities which is like a really interesting way to enter an entirely new vertical. Um, we had another situation where a university took a bunch of like the courses and the, the scheduling and all those details, turned it into an audio platform where you would have like the ability to have an Alexa tell you what your next class is or where to go. Uh, so these are, these are services and companies taking what would t- traditionally be a very, uh, I guess, monolithic structure of content and breaking them out into individual targeted apps and services. And it's really a fascinating, fascinating possibility for a person to, uh, to really kind of have the freedom to dream. You could have content basically drive some product innovation for your company. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's an interesting take because, you know, some companies, again, as you say, content is data, right? And so you can have this data inside your company that you've been gathering and compiling for another purpose entirely that you could actually pivot into something totally different. So as you said, there would be the agricultural stuff. And I know of other um, examples of um, a university in the US using their data to launch uh, Alexa skills for their for their students to um, mm-hmm. to show them what's on the menu for the day, to, to give them staff uh, contact information, the kind of data they have somewhere but they never really used it for anything. And then they suddenly use that as, a, as basically a content marketing tool, right? Because they've got the, yeah. the, the, the Alexa yeah. skills and every morning they've got the announcement with what's new and what's on the menu. And if your professor is, is this and here's his phone number, so on and so forth. And so they actually just turn this sort of mundane data into something very interactive uh, for their students. And that sort of gives their entire brand a new, a new sheen and a new dimension. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, but you can imagine, again, even taking like the... Uh some of the coursework or even just the lectures themselves and turn that into an online uh, learning platform, like basically being the backbone for, for an entirely new product. So it's a really, that's yeah, a really awesome opportunity for customers or companies to be basically creating uh, new, new products from this data. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, like I said, companies now can sort of 
hear this and say, look, you know, what data do, instead of just thinking about how can we sort of produce new content from scratch, first have a look at what data you actually have, what, what content yeah. you actually have in-house that is mundane, maybe it's mundane right now, but could you actually pivot into something more interesting? Again, as Jesse says, with, with more interesting, again, as Jesse says, with, with course content in portal and, and so much more, it could become, you know, a podcast material, could become anything. Um, so this sort of, uh, again, the, the concept of repackaging content or repurposing content um, is, is a big one. And again, headless CMS in, in this case is a, is a, is a good way to, to do that, or, or perhaps the only way to do that when it comes to sort of reaching new channels and, and new touch points, right? Yeah, that's an interesting comment, actually. There's a bit of a trend right now. I know you've actually written a fair amount about headless CMSs. Uh, you get kind of this new uh, market or sort of a definition evolving about the hybrid CMS, right? So you get this idea that you have both, uh, there's a true headless, like what Graph CMS is, where you don't have any front-end uh, logic at all. And then you have the hybrid, which is sort of like a traditional CMS, but then they have the API uh, gateway, if you will. So you could you could access the data via um of that we we tend to shy away from that with our company because we think that that implies uh too much opinion onto your content structures so that it's still causing people to think about their content in terms of websites but um yeah it's interesting that you can get kind of these two different uh solutions to solve that problem but the traditional cms that does not have an open api uh, we firmly believe they're going away within the next two to three years because it's just a different uh, different world these days. Yeah, if that, if that, right? I mean, two to three years, right. uh, you'd be surprised if, uh, if if large companies anyway are using a traditional um, non-API based CMS by that point. It's interesting. I don't I don't get to speak to I don't get to speak enough to, to pure headless CMS vendors compared to compared to headless uh, compared to um, hybrid and, and decoupled CMS vendors. So I'm interested. Your your main stance against it is that you know as you just said then. You don't want to sort of assume too much or or trap your your customers and clients and partners into um, a content structure. Do you rather give them that, that that freedom to do what they like with the with the front end? Is that is that the main argument about staying pure headless? Yeah, that would be kind of the primary um, the primary argument that we have against it is that. We, we refer to ourselves as the, the most unopinionated CMS on the market. And uh, the reality is, so we, we fully understand there's a lot of use cases for needing ta uh, taxonomies, needing slugs, things like that in a traditional CMS. But those are very uh, easy to recreate inside of any structure. And there are a lot of use cases, like anything that's not a website that doesn't actually need a slug. And so we find that it really opens up the freedom for both thinking about the content, removing this idea of a page, uh, removing the idea of, of the, of the website entirely, and then allowing them to create whatever they would want to have uh, exist behind that. Interesting. And you touched, we touched on it a little bit there with Alexa skills and stuff like that. What's your view on um, audio content and, you know, the rise of it at, have you seen anybody, you know, using Graph CMS to do anything particularly spectacular with audio content so far? Uh, I mean, for example, there was that the university, so the one that I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, where they were making that as a as a skill available for students. Um, that's one case where they're doing audio. I'm trying to think of from our existing customer base if I know of anybody else blending audio in, but for sure we see it as a very exciting. Uh, 
market. I mean, it's there's a lot of a lot of contexts where you would want to both consume or uh, interact with an application through a pure audio interface. And as as an unopinionated CMS, I think we're in a really good position to embrace that fully. What, what's the most interesting thing you've seen being done? Because we're talking about, you know, the age of going beyond the website, you know, new new touch points are emerging. It's not just it's not just about sort of smart speakers. We're talking about, you know, kiosks in malls. We're talking about touch screens in places where we didn't expect to have touch screens, um, digital signage everywhere. So what's, um, you know, I know you can't drop names um, all the time anyway. And that's a common common thing that I get as well. Um, but what's an interesting case study that you've seen or, or something you think that, you know, maybe not a lot of people are doing, or a lot of brands are doing, but perhaps they should be? Uh, give me a minute or, here. Or, or, <laughs> or, or, has it, or has it gone the other way? Has it actually not been, you know, that, that crazy? Has, has it, have, have brands just sort of stuck to doing the basics at the moment? Have they stuck to doing, you know, using, using their APIs to just sort of um, do better internally in terms of talking, getting the internal system to talk to each other. Has it been that kind of thing? I'm just interested to know what the trend is like um, and the kind yeah. of things that are happening rather than me sort of trying to impose some sort of fantastical uh, reality. I, I'm interested in the reality of it, really. Yeah, I know. I was talking with uh, with another well-known uh, name in the CMS space, and uh, he was referring to it as uh, as talking about the CMS that we dream of versus the reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, as far as what I see from, from existing projects, uh, one interesting one. So there's a, there's a company in Germany that's basically, uh, they, they handle like roadside emergencies, um, Adiatse. Uh, and they have a, a camping platform, so finding camping sites uh, where you can go for vacation. And like f- for the U.S. audience, uh, camping sites in, in Germany are very different than camping sites in the U.S. These are basically RV parks. Um, and so they they power this whole platform with uh, with GraphCMS, where they're able to uh, put in the location of all these individual places that you can search for them and, and locate them. At the moment, and uh, a bit of a sneak peek here, actually. (laughs) Um, So what we often find uh, in these cases where companies are trying to cross over to this new space of of creating different experiences than just the traditional website, there's usually uh, one major barrier, and that is actually then creating sort of a a user-authenticated experience for that content, right? So it's not just about um, receiving the editorial content, it's also then somehow submitting a type of user-generated content to match that. So it's not just finding the camping site, it's then booking it and having that be like where I'm gonna go stay, right? And so at the moment, there's not really any headless CMS uh, on the market that actually handles that blend, the blend between uh, user-generated and editorial content. And this is actually where we are really actively developing with GraphCMS is that hopefully by end of year, you'll be able to enter into the platform and you can, you can actually have an app-driven experience from your content. So a user could authenticate against the headless CMS, be able to submit content as well as uh, consume. So in the case of the, of the, the booking application, you would go in, you would book the camping site, uh, make make a review or a note, and that would all be handled 
by this single headless CMS. Today, that's about four or five different services you'd have to integrate together. But that's been one of the one things that's blocking people from going the next level with uh, headless content is that if you want to sort of enter into this new space of content with, with a headless CMS, you need to uh, have user authentication and highly scoped content permissions, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's kind of, uh, that's the coming year for, for us anyways. And we see it as a, a really big opportunity for, for content producers on the web. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, so you heard it here, folks. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is an exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. scoop, exclusive yeah. scoop for, for content and caffeine. Thank you very much for sharing that, Jesse. Um, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, so let's move away a little bit from, you know, te technical content um, structuring and, and, and content strategy. Let's talk a little bit more about the market side of things. So here's something that I'm observing in the space, which is software companies, and maybe it's B2B companies in general, uh, they have a, a tendency to produce bottom of the funnel content only, and they're only interested in that. And, and they want to ignore the top of the funnel. They want to ignore sort of brand awareness and, and SEO and traffic. Those kind of things are secondary to them. Do you think that, what do you think of that strategy first and foremost? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think mm. there's this, you know, obviously there's an urgency to sell, right? Of course, it's a competitive space. Everyone wants to sell. But do you think companies are missing out? Do you think they're sort of um, overlooking the importance of brand awareness by creating top of funnel content? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you're talking to a bottom feeder here too. So <laughs> Yeah, that, and, and, that's, and that's really why I asked yeah. the question as well, because I want to get, there's no point talking to somebody who I know what their answer is going to be. So it's interesting yeah. to get your perspective. Yeah, uh, it's really it's really difficult to say for sure, uh, like as a general rule for all platforms. So when you're targeting, it really depends, I think, a lot on who you're targeting for, for starters. So our target audience is definitely a developer-heavy crowd. And developer-heavy crowds are basically there for the meat and potatoes. They're not, they're not really wanting to get the, uh, the fluffy stuff or like... The, the the these are the top four you want to look at as soon as the first top 10 article comes out it just gets regurgitated a lot of times and so and and there's not a lot of new things being added at a fast pace that are really worth distracting somebody from their day job whereas meaty content is helpful it's but it is the the blend though because you do need to get the awareness out there especially i mean graph cms is a relatively young company and so how do you get the awareness, but also deliver, uh, you know, substantial content that's actually helpful for users. Um, yeah, trying to figure out the, the blend is really, it's really tricky. I, I do see, like, for example, we definitely uh, skipped a lot of the high level content in our initial content marketing efforts. We did a lot of the, um, yeah, here's how to write a, a node script to, to parse, you know, a JSON file and import it to your, to your database. So that kind of stuff is always uh, very helpful, very useful, and we get a lot of traffic from those. But on the awareness side, I tend to think that some of that can be offloaded to 
sort of these aggregation services or content experts in your space. For example, for us, uh, CMS Wire, if you can get listed in a, these are the up and coming headless CMSs, then those do drive a lot of the awareness. And then once they arrive at your owned platform, then they find a lot more of the deep stuff. Um, we're experimenting right now as well. With We're going to be releasing a few more list type services or articles in, in the next uh, few weeks just to kind of compare it with our with our existing content base. Because um, it's, it's also very difficult to actually get a qualified person uh, to write the deeper stuff. Like I think you and I have talked about this before and lamented about it, that it's very... Um, it's really hard to find a, a qualified writer for deep technical content. True, that's true. And I, I do think it's a blend. I mean, for sure, you know, starting off uh, with Graph CMS, you had to start with, you know, the technical stuff. You had to tell people how to approach your CMS, how to approach uh, the, the tools and frameworks that they need to operate with Graph CMS. So that was, that's a given. And, you know, I just think going forward, um, the way to differentiate yourself in the market, and not just not just you guys, everybody, is to find that sweet spot of, you know, and you, you said it as well, who you're targeting, because you know, developers, you know, if you're targeting CTOs, that's a, that's a broad brush, really. If you're targeting a specific, um, you know, type of CTO, what kind of industry are they in or they're not in, um, then you can sort of start to think about the, the top of funnel content that may be, not necessarily an in-depth tutorial, but discussing um, the overlap with their particular industry, for example. That's one way to go about it. Another way I see you guys are doing as well is um, you know, interviewing developers. So you've got on your blog, you've got like these uh, developer interviews where you sort of ask them their background and, wh and where they've come from and how they got introduced to Graph CMS and all the in-between stuff, you know, the story behind people's journeys and making making it relate to people that way. I think that's another good way to um, to sort of you know, promote brand awareness, not, not just necessarily through, you know, a, a tutorial. So these yeah, kind of things. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was say, yeah, differentiating uh, your your different channels for your own platforms is, is helpful because if you have a developer center, uh, then you have the ability to release a lot more of the heavier tutorials and the in-depth articles and, and those kind of pieces. And then if you have, let's say, a blog section, those can be a lot more open towards uh, here's what's happening in the, in the industry and, and you know, following trends and getting some SEO inbound. But then you have like the case studies, like you said, so that you can differentiate different uh, themes or channels if you will on the actual site to to drive different pieces of content yeah for sure yeah absolutely i mean and you know one one key sort of barrier to, to, to top of final content that i find when i'm talking to software companies is that they don't want to be and you you kind of touched on it too they don't want to be con, they don't want to be considered to be producing fluff and you know top 10 this and top 10 that and 17 cat videos you must see today anything like that they don't want to, they don't want that kind of content and that's very understandable and not nor should they produce that kind of content so there needs to be this sort of balance struck right between you know strong bottom of funnel strong documentation and tutorials and you know in-depth content to, to really feed uh, the appetite of, of developers who want to use your platform to do something special and also at the same time you want to have some personality in there because you do want to differentiate yourself from you know the, the, the 10 other head the cms's or the 10 other crms if whichever space you happen to be in 
I think a, a good a good cool way around that, a very casual way around that, is is content in the format that we're we're currently in. So a podcast or, or video content, and not too not heavily structured either. I mean, you know, some video content you see being produced is like someone sharing their screen and they're just again they're just going through a tutorial, right? And it's very robotic. I think a great way to differentiate yourself in this space, in the software space in general, is have like, um, you know, almost like a, a fireside chat, you know, where you sit down, the, the CEO or the CTO sits down with the CMO and they have at it, or, you know, a couple of developers just chatting about what they've been working on re- recently without, divul- without divulging client names and breaking NDAs, of course, uh, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, and just talking about things casually like we are right now with a microphone, it doesn't have to be video. And I think that way you can actually address the technical stuff, as we've done today. We've spoken about you know, GraphQL and REST and, and headless content management and all that kind of thing. And yet we've been able to sort of do it casually. And, you know, your personality, Jesse, has come out in a way that it wouldn't have done if you wrote that, if you wrote that as a blog, for example, right? So yeah, sure. that, that's a really interesting way for, for software companies, SaaS companies, um, to sort of differentiate their content without producing any fluff at all. Or just doing it in a different format, um, through different channels, different different ways, and just just naturally, very organically, bring about the personalities within the company, and um, and usually that's that's a difference, you know, because sometimes the functionalities between you and your ten different competitors aren't that different, but the real the real the real differentiator is, well, what's the who are the people behind this product? Can I can I can I vibe with them? Are they are they are they people I, I don't mind calling at three a.m. in the middle of the night because our website is down or whatever it may be that kind of thing plays a big role what, what do you think yeah no i think the definitely pursuing also the different kinds of content so being the the audio or the video the podcast definitely i'd say plays a plays a big role and then again targeting those to which channel they're relevant with um I feel like a little bit the the inbound from the SEO side does really well, or at least from the the awareness side does really well on sort of networked channels. Or uh, we have strong uh, strong leads from tutorials we have, like with Gatsby or somebody else writing an article about what they're doing with us. Uh, those are really strong awareness drivers for us because they tend to trust the other. Uh, authorized voice about what we are what we're doing and then when they get to us and they realize okay yeah once they get into the house they're going to find what they need to to get around um yeah but yeah i think uh i think definitely especially with podcasts they're they're highly underutilized we're actually in the middle of planning uh like live coding uh webinars uh we've participated in a couple of them and they seem to be a very natural fit for software companies is to start hosting these uh these coding videos because uh, the long tail is just fantastic on them of course of course is that another um exclusive scoop for us there that you're you're working on that uh it's yeah it's not officially written anywhere but yes, <laughs> i think okay. if you're a software two scoops two scoops in one episode unbelievable it's going to be a full banana split um the uh <laughs> The fact is, if you're a software company today and you're not considering doing video, uh, like live uh, video coding or something, you're you're probably not going to be uh, doing well <laughs> in the coming in the coming generation. Uh, it's just 
Yeah, it's tr- it's true. I mean, and and you look at the um, the logic behind it is, of course, that software companies have traditionally done well out of live events, so you know, actual events, uh, conferences, and that kind of thing, hosting annual events or or you know, one every quarter or one every six months. Uh, you look at the big names like WordPress and Drupal, Joomla. They do, they do that, and or even the smallest companies, they try you know quite quickly to sort of. Once a community is large enough, let's do like a 25-person meetup, you know, or a coding, um, some sort of some sort of meetup or, or, or conference if they can. And really, what you know, you want to try and replicate that sort of vibe and online. You want to have that, you know, live, uh, as you guys are doing this live webinar stuff. You want to have a podcast where people can come and listen to uh, two or three people talking about a topic. Um, you want to sort of break out of that mold of just doing, you know, a tutorial. I think, even though they're extremely important and. Um, I was talking to, to one um, to somebody a couple of days ago about the importance of documentation to, to developers. You know, uh, when it comes to sort of adopting a new CMS or a new platform, documentation plays a massive, massive role in it, and it may as well be like another feature. He said of the um, of the platform. For and, sure. Yeah, and and that stuff is obviously important, and I'm not taking that away. That stuff should be done first. You know, those documentations, the tutorial, blog posts, the tutorial videos, the kind of stuff that people need to, to use your platform. Yes, by all means, focus on that for the first six months to a year if you must. But then after that, it's time to sort of start breaking out the mold, start thinking about, you know, what else you can do to sort of replicate that stuff that you do offline when it comes to conferences and stuff, building that community, because um, ultimately that community is going to, you know, help you survive or or not and if you don't have a community then it won't be you know a, a big issue for people to just sort of switch from your platform to another one because they, they like the way the wind blowing is that uh, the way the wind is blowing that day you know yeah 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 cool okay um covered a lot of ground there a lot of different ground let's um head over to the quick fire round if you're, ha- if you're happy to jump over there uh sure i don't think i know what your quick fire questions are but <laughs> okay even better <laughs> yeah. even better that you don't know what right. they are um i'm hoping that's not my mistake that i didn't that I, that I did send you them i think i did but it's good that you don't know because then i can get some real organic answers out of you nothing nothing too too difficult don't worry the first one is what is your favorite social network right now and why Okay, uh, I would say Twitter, actually. I feel like it has the highest traction for developers. And uh, yeah, we get a lot of interaction. You have the ability to do the direct messaging, of course, but you get a lot of network effect uh, in there as well. And I just, it feels like a lot of developers tend to hang out in there and it's about the right size length of content that developers engage with. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That makes sense. That's a common, common answer I get from the developer crowd. Is that for... Obviously, that's for business purposes. How about for personal purposes? Is that the same? Is it the same with Twitter, or when it comes to personal, do you sort of switch to some something else? I only use social media for professional purposes. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, sorry, Jesse. Uh, no. You're so much yeah. better than the rest of us. <laughs> uh, so, uh, on the side of like uh, personal brand building, like to just try to to be getting out there, um, like because you know you're always trying to. Yeah, just be gaining some influence for whatever your next step may be. Um, yeah, I still use Twitter for that as well, even though I have a rather pathetic follower count. Uh, <laughs> like mostly due to the fact that I, I generally am not very socially active on those channels. Um, I'm sure if you were, you'd have a, a huge following, no doubt. Right, right. <laughs> no doubt. I, I did. Uh, my, do have a social media hack? Uh, so I actually have a private uh, Instagram account. 
I have a public one, but I also have a private one that I use for vacation photos. Uh, and so I've allowed to have, it's a, I've invited like specific family members to be uh, able to view it, but then I can just use the nice little filters and everything else that comes with Instagram and have a very nice curated, uh, memory of the, of the vacation we went on. And I don't have to just send photos to everybody. It's like they can just go on there and find themselves. So that's my social media hack. Definitely not using it the way they intended. But <laughs> Well, you say that, but I'm doing the exact same thing. So I have my, my public uh, business uh, Instagram accounts. And I've got the, the private one, which is just for like very close family and friends. And I don't even use that anymore, but it is just for like the old, the old vacation photos and interacting with my, my friends and family on Instagram. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that does make sense. And I think I've got the same thing going on on, on Twitter as well, actually. So mm. yeah, it, that makes sense. And Twitter, Twitter's a big one for me. I do, I do like Twitter. As you say, it, it, it kind of, give, it kind of touches again on what we spoke about before having that community feeling you can, you can, you know, as a, as a professional or, or even as a brand, you know, at graph CMS is probably the, the handle you guys have. You can use that as a, as a platform just to, to get yeah. to know people, you know? you'll probably you'll probably find that companies aren't i'm talking to companies that aren't aren't on twitter here if you do jump on twitter you'll find that you know people the same people start to retweet you over and over again over the course of a month and a year you'll find that the same names cropping up and the same names sort of thanking you for sharing something or something like that you begin to build relationships and they begin to see you as a source of authority and if they're the right person if they're the you know if they happen to be in the right position at the right time then it could do your, your company wonders just by sort of being there, just by having that brand awareness on Twitter and, and engaging, mm. you know, not just sharing links, but actually talking to these people, you know, talking about, um, uh, you know, if you, share, if you shared an article, you wrote an article, you actually engage with them about what, what they liked about it and what they didn't like. And, you know, or maybe you, if, if, they're, if they're in a position of authority, maybe, maybe you can uh, offer to them, you know, an invitation to write a guest post or something like that, you know, and build that, build that sort of um, community because you don't get the opportunity to do that elsewhere. Yeah. Also, as far as least uh, professional, like finding other other interesting uh, people and other companies to network with, I think I'm probably one of the only people that actually doesn't hate LinkedIn these days. I feel like it gets gets a really bad rap from people always complaining about the the requests on there. But I don't know. I've I've found LinkedIn to be a very resourceful place where I can just reach out to somebody and say, hey. I want to talk with you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. And, and yeah. nine times out of ten, they say yes. And uh, and I've had a lot of engaging conversations with people through uh, through that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if someone was to ask me what's my favorite social network, um, when it comes to professional, you know, social networking, it's LinkedIn for sure. There's, there's no there's no doubt about it. And that's always been the case, or for last for, for last three years or so. And the only issue is this sort of you know the, the inboxes have to become a little bit spammy. We need to address mm -hmm. that somehow. Um, but really, it's not. I mean, every other platform is the same. I get the same on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, these sort of unwarranted sales pitches in your inbox. So, yeah. other than that, I think LinkedIn is is fantastic. Quite frankly, um, the fact that there's there's video support now, live video support as well, is something that I want to be um, leveraging for Wordify as well going forward. Uh, I think the, the the potential of LinkedIn, um, from, in, from a B two B perspective, the potential of LinkedIn is is massive compared to Twitter and, yeah. and Instagram. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the second quick fire round question. And there's only three. <laughs> the second one is, uh, whose content are you consuming 
the most right now. And that could be a, a book you're reading, um, a po- you know, a podcast series you're listening to, an Instagram um, account that you're following closely. And it could be professional or, or personal. So, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I'd say uh, just in the last couple of days, I've sort of rediscovered the uh, a lot of the different articles and writings around the Lean Canvas. And so and I'm, I will absolutely butcher the poor guy's last name, uh, Ash Mar- Maria. Maria, I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but if you uh, look up Lean Canvas, uh, you'll you'll definitely find them. It's uh, in the startup world, you you're definitely constantly aware of the ideas about Lean Startup and Lean This, Lean That. But I actually hadn't gone back in to just read like the original writings around it uh, to begin with for a long time, and I found it to be just very refreshing uh, to sort of parse through what the initial intent was versus what the startup culture has uh, turned it into over the last few years. So I've been definitely consuming a lot of that. And um, <clears throat> yeah, podcasts, I, I get a lot of, <laughs> there's one that sounds very, sounds very, very pretentious, <laughs> uh, but it's the, the Stanford's entrepreneurial thought leadership podcast okay i've heard of this but i've heard this is really good actually yeah yeah it's actually amazing it's uh it's one that i think everybody uh that and freakonomics are like the two that i i would say everybody should have as a regular listen they're uh, they're great um cool and the last one uh quick fire question is what is one tip you have for content marketers uh, and specifically of course in in the the software space a tip for content marketers in the software space. And this is coming from a developer as well. So what do you want to see? What do you want to, or someone from a developing background? What do you want to see more of? You know, what, what isn't there enough of that, you know, you think would, would, would move the needle? Hmm. That is a great question. <laughs> it is, and I, and, I kind, and I kind of put you on the spot, right? It's good. This, one is, yeah. this one is the only one you should have really researched, but you didn't. Yeah, well, because the problem is if whatever I say basically means it's what I have to do also. Ah, uh, so, okay. Okay, um, so just say, just keep, just keep doing the same thing you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say re- really focusing on the uh, helping people discover the, the or increase, in, decreasing the time to wow you could say so whatever your platform is whatever your main trick is um definitely allow customers to find that the fastest possible and so that whatever your your core value proposition for us for example being graphql and we have the graphical uh, explorer which is like what you use to to test out data as uh, like on the home page and it's it's right there available uh find a way for people to see the magic behind your software as quickly as possible with serverless the way it is today you should be able to have a one-click bootstrap for any nearly any product for someone to demo Uh, because if they if they have to go through a ton of documentation and a lot of setup process installing a whole bunch of dependencies etc etc then you're going to lose a lot of customers Uh, so whatever you can uh, allow that time to wow to happen as quickly as possible in the content you're writing or in how you're you're pitching the product and it'll serve you well. Excellent. I like that. Decrease the time to wow. Cool. Okay. We have covered a lot of different topics and, and territories. 
Jesse, um, thanks for, for coming on. What is the best way for our listeners to reach you online? So best way is actually probably through Twitter. And uh, it's just at Motley Dev. Um, you can find me there. And if you also look for uh, Jesse Martin on, on LinkedIn, there's not actually too many of us, especially if you add a Germany flag in there. Okay. Um, but yeah, Twitter's Twitter's the best way. Okay, there you go. Cool. Jesse, thanks so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Guys, thank you for listening to Content and Caffeine. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share it with your friends and your colleagues. And please remember to rate and review us on iTunes or whichever app you're listening to us on. If you're looking for show notes, head over to wordify.co forward slash podcast. And I'll see you again next week.